Welcome to the Miracle Channel podcast. Every week, you'll hear powerful messages from world-renowned pastors that air on Miracle Channel, Canada's 24-7 Christian TV station. And if you want to watch more of their messages anytime you want, check out our online streaming service, Corco Plus. Follow the link in our show notes to create a free account in three simple steps. Today on the podcast, you'll sit in on a conversation with Leon Fontaine and Lee Strobel from The Leon Show. In this episode, Leon Fontaine interviews Lee Strobel, TV personality, speaker, and prolific writer, perhaps most recognized for his book series, The Case for Christ. Before he was a Christian, Lee was an atheist. During his time as a legal editor for the Chicago Tribune, he began investigating biblical claims seeking to expose the truth about Jesus. But in turn, the truth discovered him. And now, Leon Fontaine and Lee Strobel dive into the historical facts that prove Jesus died and rose again. Let's dive into the message. It's so good to have you. Great to see you, my friend. I enjoy so much, by the way, our conversations. Oh. God has given you a gift of curiosity and seriously, <laughs> yeah. I mean, a few people that I know are so good at uh, truly pursuing a subject with genuine interest and curiosity. And so I, I appreciate you. Oh, and thank what you. you. Do. I am always curious. You're right about that. <laughs> but you know, God has given you a gift to just help people think things through. Mm. This latest book that, that we've been talking about, The Case for Hope, mm -hmm. um, as a pastor, it's just, that's the issue you see everywhere. Yeah. Like, I don't know how you'd explain it, but I've noticed that when people begin to lose hope, they go through some steps. I don't have the right order, but I mean, they're disappointed, then they're discouraged. Yeah. But the last step I've noticed is when they get cynical. Yeah. Right. You notice that? Right, right. And, and that's almost like you're walking away from things. And yeah. You're just, you're just kind of throwing up your hands and saying it's easier to be sarcastic than it is to be sincere. Yeah. And, you know, a sincere person is a person that pursues answers. A sincere person is someone who is open to answers, who says, you know what, um, I, think it's, I think it's ridiculous or I think it's highly unlikely that Jesus would have literally returned from the dead. I mean, come on, people don't do that. But, you know, a sincere person says, what is the evidence? How do I know it really happened? And uh, whereas a cynical person would, would say, ah, that's not even worth investigating. That's crazy. And only, yeah, only, only nutty people think that. Well, you and I were talking off camera, getting ready for this show. And you said we should talk about the resurrection. Yeah. Why is that so important to us mm. as believers? Well, one of the unique things about Christianity is that it is a testable faith. And this is not true of other world religions. Um, Christianity invites investigation. Mm. Uh, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, if the resurrection didn't happen, then you are fully justified in walking away. In other words, if Jesus, he said, has not been raised from the dead, then you know, we're wasting our time. This, yeah. is, this is built on just wishful thinking yeah. and not reality. And so that invites us as skeptics and as even spiritual seekers to say, um, is there any evidence? Um, that Jesus really and literally returned from the dead and thus proved that he is who he claimed to be, the Son of God. That was the number one issue for me. I mean, I looked at when I was a skeptic and atheist and was encouraged by my wife's conversion to Christianity to investigate the faith. I looked at a lot of different things, but the linchpin, the, the key deciding factor was the resurrection because either Jesus was 
crazy or he was lying uh, when he said he was the son of God. And we have in a variety of different ways in the Gospels. He makes that clear. He's making messianic and divine claims about himself. Um, you know, at one point he gets up before a group and he says, I and the Father are one. And, you know, the word in Greek there for one is not masculine. It's, it's neuter, which means Jesus was not saying I and the Father are the same person. He was saying I and the Father are the same thing. We're one in nature. We're one in essence. And then how did the audience understand what he was saying? They picked up stones to kill him because they said, you're a mere man and you're claiming to be God. Blasphemy for that. Exactly. So Jesus claimed to be the son. But I could claim to be the son of God. You could claim to be the son of God. Anybody could. Yeah. But if Jesus claimed to be the son of God, died, and then three days later rose from the dead, that's pretty good evidence that he's telling the <laughs> truth, right? And so I thought, well, wait a minute. Um, I was an investigative reporter for the Chicago Tribune. I was legal editor. I would investigate things to see whether there was any credibility to them. Why not investigate the resurrection? How do I know historically that Jesus really returned from the dead? And so I studied ancient history. I interviewed scholars. I studied archaeology. I studied uh, even the, the science of what happens during crucifixion. And um, I became convinced based on what I call the four E's that Jesus really did return from the dead. And it really comes uh, largely from an interview I did with Dr. Gary Habermas, who's one of the leading resurrection scholars in the world. And um, he likes to use three E's, but I've kind of expanded it to four. But, uh, <laughs> Gotta just, make it better. Yeah, yeah, just, you know, just to be obnoxious. Um, so um, the first E stands for execution. You know, how do we know Jesus really was executed? Well, could have been a coma, could have been faked. Exactly, exactly. Now, we look at history, and um, uh, one of the things about history is that when you investigate the execution of Jesus, what you find is that there is no dispute among scholars in the field. And I'm not just talking about Christian scholars. I'm talking about the wide range of scholarship. Virtually everyone agrees that Jesus was crucified and died under Pontius Pilate. Why? Because when you study ancient history, you're lucky if you get one or two sources to confirm a fact. But for the execution of Jesus, we not only have multiple early first century accounts in the documents in the New Testament, we've got five ancient sources outside the Bible confirming and corroborating. And that's huge. That's huge. You just don't get that. So you've got uh, Josephus, Tacitus, uh, um, you've got um, Lucian, you've got Meribar Serapion, even the Jewish Talmud admits that Jesus was executed. Leon, the evidence is so strong, you can go to an atheist New Testament scholar like <laughs> Gerd Ludeman, and one of the most famous atheist scholars, and he will tell you that the execution by Jesus Christ, by crucifixion, is historically, and this is the word he uses, indisputable. That's from the atheist side. So, Jesus was dead, the first E. Second E uh, stands for the word early. We have reports that Jesus rose from the dead that come immediately after the fact. Here's why that's important. Yeah. A lot of people think the resurrection was a legend. And it took a long time for legend to develop in the ancient world. Oh. We have got, and this is fascinating, if you look in your Bible, I encourage the viewers, go to 1 Corinthians 15, starting at verse 3. And it talks about Jesus... Um, being executed, being buried, and the third day he rose from the dead, and then it mentions the specific names of eyewitnesses and groups of people to whom he appeared, including 500 people at once. Now, this is an ancient creed from the earliest church that Paul is reporting in his letter to the church in Corinth that we call 1 Corinthians. 
Paul used to be Saul of Tarsus, a persecutor of Christians. One to three years after the death of Jesus, he's on the road to Damascus. He has this encounter with the risen Christ. He becomes Paul. He goes into Damascus and meets with some apostles. Many scholars believe this is when he was given this creed that he reports in 1 Corinthians. But other scholars say it was three years later. Three years later, Paul goes to Jerusalem and meets for 15 days with two people named in the creed as eyewitnesses, Peter and James. And the Greek word that he uses to describe this meeting, hysterese, suggests that this was an investigative meeting. They were checking each other out. How do you know? What do you know? What did you see? What did you touch? Most scholars will say this is when he was given this creed that he later puts in 1 Corinthians. But either way, it means within one to six years after the death of Jesus, this creed is not only in existence, it means the beliefs that make up that creed go back even earlier virtually to the cross itself. So you can go to one of the most preeminent scholars in the world, James D.G. Dunn, and he will tell you this. This creed, we can be entirely confident, was formulated as a creed within months of Jesus' death. So there's no huge time gap between the death of Jesus and the later development of a legend that he rose from the dead. We got a newsflash that goes right back to the beginning. So this is historical gold. Wow. I mean, you just don't get this from ancient history. I never thought so of it that way. It's very powerful. So we have, we have an execution. We have early accounts. Third, we have an empty tomb. And the reason we know the tomb was empty, there's a lot of reasons, but the one I like is even the opponents of Jesus admitted it was empty. <laughs> they, they admitted it was empty. That's a for sure That's fact. That's a for sure fact. Because when Jesus, when the, when the disciples began proclaiming that Jesus had risen, they never said, baloney, go open the tomb, you'll find the body. That would have put the onus on the disciples to prove it. But they didn't say that. We know from sources outside the Bible and inside the Bible that what they said was, oh, um, uh, the tomb's empty. Well, um, the disciples stole the body. Yeah. Well, that's admitting the tomb is empty. You're, you're admitting it. You're just trying to explain it away. Yeah. It's like you're a teacher and somebody comes up to you and says, the dog ate my homework. Well, they're admitting they don't have their homework, but they're explaining this is what happened to it. And so everybody's conceding the tomb was empty. And then finally, the fourth E stands for eyewitnesses. We have, remember we said we're lucky in ancient history if we get one or two sources to yep. confirm a fact? Yeah. For the conviction of the disciples that they encountered the resurrected Jesus, we have no fewer than nine ancient sources inside and outside the New Testament confirming and corroborating the conviction of the disciples that they encountered the risen Christ. Like what you hear? Make sure you subscribe to this podcast to hear more great messages from inspiring teachers. You'll get to listen to Leon Fontaine, Brian Houston, James Levesque, Joseph Prince, and so many more. Rate this podcast and write a review if you haven't already. And share this message so others can be encouraged by this teaching too. So subscribe, rate, review, and share. Now, let's get back to the message. Resurrect. Okay, yes. What are they? Or yeah. some of them? The, uh, nine sources are these. Uh, number one, Paul is a good source. About We're talking about the conviction that the disciples encountered the resurrected Jesus. Well, Paul reports that he got to know some of the disciples after he came to faith in Christ because he was a eyewitness. He encountered the resurrected right. Christ. And he says, whether it's I or they, this is what we preach. In other words, we're preaching the same thing. Jesus rose from the dead. Right. So here you have Paul verifying that the disciples believe that Jesus appeared to them. 
Secondly, you have this creed that we talked about, this 1 Corinthians 15. Mm -hmm. This is a creed from the ancient church that confirms the resurrection of Jesus that dates back so early that one of the few Jewish New Testament scholars, Pinchas Lapid, said the, the, the um, credentials of this creed historically are so strong it can be considered as a statement of eyewitnesses. Wow. Third, we have the book of Acts. Now, even skeptical scholars will accept the book of Acts for being what it undeniably is, which is a report of the preaching of the early church. Well, what was the central proclamation of the early church? The resurrection. <laughs> the resurrection. You know, Peter gets up before a group right in the same city, right in Jerusalem, where Jesus had been put to death just a few weeks later. And he says, you all remember Jesus? The man attested to you by miracles and wonders and signs, which he did in your midst. You know that he did. And then it says, God raises Jesus from the dead, to which we're all witnesses. And what did they do? Did they say baloney? No. 3,000 people said, yes, we know you're telling the truth. What do we do? And the church was born as they were forgiven and, and became, the church exploded into existence. So the book of Acts has great credibility with scholars, even skeptical scholars. Yep. Then the next four um, so that's three sources. The next four sources are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Right. Now, eyewitnesses. Eyewitness accounts. I mean, these are either based on direct or indirect eyewitness testimony. We have, um, back in the 1900s, we had German, skeptical German theologians who tried to cast doubt on the reliability of the Gospels. But now the trend is toward the reliability of the Gospels because you can test them. And when we put them to the test historically, when we see that they're close to the streams of the original people, that they are rooted in eyewitness accounts, directly or indirectly, um, um, when we see how close they were written to the events themselves, when we look at all the manuscript evidence of how well they were preserved, that we can have strong confidence, just historically, that the Gospels are telling us the essentials of what we need to know about Jesus, including his resurrection. And then we have two other sources. Eight and nine. These are fascinating. Um, there were some people who sat under the teachings of the disciples themselves. They were there. They talked the disciples. They learned from the disciples. They know what the disciples taught about the resurrection of Jesus, being eyewitnesses. And two of them, we have good evidence, um, have written letters in which they report what the disciples told them. So we have Clement and we have Polycarp. They were disciples of the disciples, so to speak. Yeah. So here you have people who knew the disciples personally, who report what the disciples believed. So those are nine ancient sources that corroborate and confirm the conviction of the disciples. Can I ask that you about the last four? Yeah. <clears throat> One of the things we hear often from skeptics yes. is that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John aren't clear on their facts. They don't agree. Right. And Talk to me a little bit about that, because yeah. those are the four books that yeah. really tell us. Sure. You know what? I go back to my days as a journalist at, at the Chicago Tribune. You know, we had four daily newspapers back when I was there, and we were competing. And if there was a news conference or an event that we would cover, we would each write a story. And if you lay those stories side to side, there would be some differences in the details. I don't want to say contradictions, but different details. Yeah. I would pick up on one thing. Somebody who is writing for a different audience, maybe for the African-American newspaper, would emphasize something different, just as Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John would encounter and, and have, different, have the same kind of experiences with Jesus, and yet they report it through their thinking. And, you know, if one person says there was an angel at the tomb and someone else says there were two angels at the tomb, well, guess what? When there's two angels, there's always one angel. 
<laughs> you just you're just giving more facts. Yeah. You're just reporting more facts. I mean, there's not a contradiction That's there. You didn't say there's there was only one angel. So no. there was an, he's emphasizing something about that angel. So um, the key thing is, as Norman Geisler, the famous apologist and expert uh, and scholar on the uh, Bible, always said, he said, uh, people who think that there's a contradiction uh, among the accounts are generally violating one of 15 different principles for interpreting Scripture. Wow. And there are different principles that you look at for how do you accurately analyze Scripture. And when you follow those prescribed principles, the, the, the contradictions go away. And uh, yes, there's some differences, but differences are good. In fact, one of the most famous American law professors who ever lived, a guy named Simon Greenleaf, he's the guy that made Harvard the great law school. I went to Yale Law School, so <laughs> I call Harvard the second best law okay. school. But, um, but he's the guy that made Harvard such a great school. He made the comment that if the four Gospels reported exactly the same thing in the exact same words with the exact same details, you would accuse them of colluding. Right. You would accuse them of conspiring together, yeah. and you wouldn't trust them. If you're in a court of law and you're cross-examining a witness and he's saying the exact same thing that this person said, something's wrong. Because that's not how life is. People so see true. things a little differently. So he actually said that the differences in the accounts add to their credibility. And yeah. that's another reason to actually trust them. I agree Because they that. have different aspects. Sal and I had a fire years ago. And uh, the first thing they thought was that we had said it, you know, because yeah. insurance money and sure. all the things. So they separated Sally and I and questioned us. So they questioned Sally at length and they yeah. questioned me at length. And so then we went home. Yeah. And uh, so we're talking on the way and Sally says, did they ask you if you made any phone calls that morning? And I said, yeah, I told them no. Leon, you made a bunch of phone calls because <laughs> you were canceling that. And, oh, yeah. And I said, well, did they ask you this? Yeah, would you? We didn't say anything <laughs> yeah. the same, yeah. and we both looked at the, oh, my, what's going to happen? Yeah. And then we talked to the investigator later, and we said, like, okay, so what, what happened with this thing? And he goes, oh, you're fine. I said, but our stories were completely different, and that's what he said to us. Yes. If you guys had torched your own house for the insurance money, your story would have been a whole lot better that's than right. what you told You would have conspired. <laughs> you would have had it down. That's exactly true. That's exactly yeah. true. You know, the more, uh, and again, I, when I investigated the Gospels, I was a skeptic. I was an atheist. I was looking for reasons not to believe. And yet, time after time, I mean, when you sit down and you read these accounts, not only do they ring true, not only were they written by people who had nothing to gain by pro proclaiming this message, because we have seven ancient sources that tell us that the disciples suffered lives of deprivation and torture. And yeah, who would do that for a die. lie? Exactly. So, you know, I read this, and it, but there is also, and you know this, Leon, there is a beauty to the Gospels, yeah. that when you read the Gospel of John, if that doesn't move your spirit, <laughs> if you don't read that and go, this not only rings true, but there's, there's a depth and a, an insight and a beauty and a poetry um, to this that, that exceeds what you would expect from a first century document. So it passes all the tests of history. That's beautiful. Well, here we are, it's Easter. Our time is pretty much out. Maybe t give me a few, a, a thought or two, yeah. wrapping up this all up for those who are watching about the resurrection yeah. and Easter. What's your final thought? My final thought is this. If this is true, and I believe the evidence is powerful and persuasive that Jesus did return from the dead, what are the implications for us? One implication is he is who he claimed to be, yeah. that he is the unique so son of God. And if that's true, 
He deserves our worship. He deserves that it would make sense to follow his teachings yeah. because he would have the insights. He wants the best for us. Yeah. He went to the cross and died a horrific death to pay for our sins so that we could be reconciled with him, so we could spend eternity with him. So one of the implications is the great love that God has for us as demonstrated in the cross. Um, and the power of the resurrection means that God has power and that in our lives, when we feel hopeless, there is still power that we can access, the power of God. And um, it means he will fulfill his promises because he cannot lie. And so what God has promised, what Jesus has said, what he said will come to pass, will come to pass. And I think the number one thing is, you know, when we read John, uh, John 1:12 says, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believed in his name. Praise so God. what does that mean? It means if I believe, based on the evidence we've talked about today, maybe somebody's watching and they realize, you know, this is true. This yeah. does have evidence. This does stand up to scrutiny. If you believe, that's great. But now you have to receive. Yeah. And that just means opening your heart and receiving this free gift of forgiveness and eternal life that Jesus purchased by his death on the cross when he died as our substitute to pay for all of our sins. And when we come to him in repentance and faith, we confess that we're sinners, we're confess, we confess that we are hopeless without God, <laughs> yeah. then we can receive this free gift of forgiveness and eternal life. And then guess what happens? The Holy Spirit takes up residence in us. Our lives begin to change for the good. Praise and um, it, it's, it, it'll be the joy of your life. So I think that is the greatest implication, that, uh, that through the resurrection of, uh, of Jesus Christ, God has turned the key and opened heaven to all who follow him in repentance and faith. You know what? In closing our program today, would you just lead us in that prayer? Yeah. Pray with you us. You know, if that's where you're at today, if you believe as best you can, you're going to have some questions. That's all right. If as best you can you believe, then just let's pray together. Pray just say, Jesus. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank Lord you Jesus, for thank going you. to the cross and dying to pay for the sins that I've committed. Right now, I confess to you yes. that I am a sinner. And I want to turn from that. I want to repent. I want to walk your path. And so I reach out in repentance and faith and receive that free gift of forgiveness and eternal life that you offer. Thank you, Lord Jesus, yes. for loving me so much that you died so that we could be reconciled forever. Now, Father, we, we thank you for those that have prayed that yes. prayer right now. We celebrate that. The Bible tells us in Luke 15, there is a party that breaks out in heaven <laughs> over every sinner who repents. And we celebrate that too. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. Hit the subscribe button to make sure you don't miss an episode. You can watch more interviews with special guests from The Leon Show on Corco Plus, Miracle Channel streaming service. Corco Plus has thousands of TV shows, movies, and ministry programs. Let me tell you about the Christian Living section. Every week, we take your favorite speakers, categorize messages by topic, and create empowering teaching playlists. You can watch a playlist on healing, peace, or prayer, for example, and hear hand-picked messages from speakers teaching on that topic. 
In one playlist, you could hear from Leon Fontaine, Joyce Meyer, Dr. Tony Evans, Joel Osteen, and so on. Go to Corco.com to sign up for your free account in three simple steps. That's C-O-R-C-O.com. There's no better place to find topic-based teaching than Corco Plus. It's Miracle Channel and more. We hope you were inspired by today's message. Be blessed.